Hello, and welcome to episode 113 of The Modern Manager. I'm your host, Mamie Canfor-Stewart. A warm welcome to Marissa P. and Alexandria W. to The Modern Manager community. Now that you're members, you get 20% off my upcoming course, where I will work with you directly to learn how to communicate expectations clearly to your team members, set them up for success, support them along the way, and hold them accountable for results. All of those things combined, I refer to as delegation. You can check out the program at themodernmanager.com slash courses. The program launches August 11th and early bird pricing ends July 28th. You can use code early 10 exclamation point for 10% off. And if you're a member, again, you get 20% off and you can find that in the member bonuses section. Now, today's guest is Chaim Herring. Chaim is a rabbi and PhD in organization and management. He is CEO of HaimHerring.com, whose mission is preparing today's leaders for tomorrow's organizations. Chaim is a prolific author, presenter, and organizational futurist, specializing in nonprofits and values-based organizations. We talk about building relationships with people outside of your generation, stereotypes and realities of boomers, Gen Xers, millennials, and Gen Zers, how we might all approach people of any age with curiosity and seeing the value they bring to the conversation, and how do we build a truly intergenerational workplace that engages people of any generation. Now, here's the conversation. You're listening to The Modern Manager, a podcast dedicated to helping you be a rock star boss with a thriving team. Whether you're looking to upgrade your meetings, cultivate your team, or grow as a leader, this podcast is for you. Now here's your host, Mamie Canfer-Stewart. Hi, I'm so, 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 so happy to be talking with you today. I think you are the person I have known the longest who is now a guest on my show, which is really exciting because I have such fond memories of coming to your house when I was in my early 20s, I think, and having Shabbat dinner with you and Terry and your family. And just, you know, it's such a pleasure to have you on the show now. And I am so excited to be back with you as a guest on your show. So thanks for having me. All right. So we're going to have a conversation here, unlike any, I think, that you and I have ever had before, because the conversations around the dinner table were a little different. But we were, and I do appreciate this, a multiple generational community at that time. And so it's no surprise, I guess, that we're going to now be talking about your book, Connecting Generations. And I want to start with your opening chapter, because it was not what I expected when I opened the book. The first chapter is on loneliness. So why? Why loneliness? What is going on with loneliness in the generations? So what really inspired and motivated me to work on this book is looking at some of the data that's out there on the social isolation epidemic. It used to be that we associated loneliness, you know, thoughts of depression, suicide with the elderly, but somewhere in around 2012, there was a change. And those kinds of issues began to show up with the youngest generations in greater numbers. So that was a a wake-up call for me. And if older people, younger people, and everybody in between are reporting feelings of loneliness, fewer confidants, fewer friends, I thought, well, if we got to this place by ourselves, we can figure out how to get back to a better place. So, you know, I think about my own community and, you know, I personally don't feel a lot of loneliness, but when I look at 
who I'm connecting to, the vast, vast, vast majority are people who are in my age cohort. And as I was reading, it was asking questions and kind of looking at, you know, how many connections you have in the generation below you or above you. And I was like, oh, I don't have like any. And my work environment does also not kind of position me to create connections in those ways. I don't work in a really big company in a big department with a lot of opportunities to connect with people up and down generationally. I'm wondering about like, is that a problem? (laughs) Well, I I think so because in my research, what I found along with others who, who preceded me in this area is not just that there are stereotypes and each generation engages in stereotyping, but I began to feel as I interviewed boomers and millennials and spoke with people younger and older, how damaging the stereotypes are and how in some ways demeaning they are. And if we stereotype one another, then how can we ever learn from one another and enjoy the benefits of intergenerational relationships? I think it's a pretty serious problem. So two questions. First is, how do we start to build relationships outside of our own generational cohort? If they're valuable, you know, in many, many ways, right? They're valuable in terms of just personal well-being and avoiding loneliness. They're valuable in terms of widening our exposure to different ways of thinking and ideas, right? So they're valuable in lots of ways. So what are some of the things that we can do to help build more relationships outside of those that are easiest for us? And then secondly, maybe we can get into some of those stereotypes. Sure. So I asked that question of boomers and millennials, and I always ask that question because I'm, I'm curious. And it was really fascinating. What I heard from people of all ages, and I'm, I'm going to put this in my words, it doesn't take an act of Congress to introduce yourself to someone younger or older. And it might be something as simple, and this is what I heard from people of all ages, as just asking somebody out for a cup of coffee or to go for a walkie, you know, get a little exercise in something that younger people and older people like. Spend a little bit of time. Begin to volunteer outside of the workplace and volunteer in settings where you're with people who are not your age. And try, if you're a little bit afraid, of trying to work with people who are younger or older, find another person who already does that and go with that individual and find the intergenerational volunteer activity. That makes a lot of sense. And I'm already now starting to think of people who are in my community who have parents who are a generation you know, older or two, and I can like, oh, I met their parents, but I've never actually talked to their parents even though we will like be in spaces together, like at our kids' school gala or things like that. And I'm like, okay, that's, I now have a good next step for myself to go out of my way to introduce myself and, and speak to those people. Wonderful. And, and you'll be surprised at how enriching and fascinating it will be. And they'll appreciate it too. So what about stereotypes? How do stereotypes get in the way of how we think about different generations and even in the workspace, especially, or maybe especially in the workspace, when you're kind of looking around at your colleagues, in what way are these stereotypes inhibiting us from building stronger relationships with each other? So one of the most fascinating answers, but then as I reflected on it, painful, I mean, really painful, was I asked boomers, when you hear the word 
millennial, what image or word comes to mind? And I also ask millennials, when you hear the word boomer, what image or phrase comes to mind? So here's what millennials said about boomers. They're obsessed with their bucket list. You know, can't they kick the bucket and have fun during life instead of waiting to retire? They're work obsessed, goal driven. They're tough and tenacious. They think that, you know, adult is a noun and they don't understand what the term adulting means and they're entitled, mm. which was interesting to hear millennials calling boomers entitled. When I spoke with boomers about millennials, um, they said all they want to do is have fun now. They don't have the same sort of tenacity that we did. They're apathetic. Snowflakes, which is a word I really don't like, meaning unique. There's no grit. Um, and what do you mean adulting is a verb? You know, adult is something you become at a certain time. And they're so entitled. So they both use the term entitled about each other. Yes. A little differently, though. In what ways? So when millennials spoke about boomers as being entitled, they said just because somebody has more gray hair or seniority, it doesn't mean that they should automatically be in charge of a project. And of course, when boomers spoke about millennial entitlement, they said, you know, we're really sorry, but no, you can't be CEO on your second day of the job, especially because I know you're likely to be leaving probably six months to a year from now. Hmm. So this is a tension that I feel like I often experience, which is this tension between the value of experience and having gathered over time those exposures and the, those kind of opportunities that build up that you really only get with age to some extent. And then the value of kind of new, fresh, first time, I don't know how else to put it, but is that a tension that, that we're kind of talking about here? Yes, and I think that it won't only be with boomers and millennials. I, I'm beginning to see that also with, you know, Gen Xers who are now really leading organizations. Um, they're in management positions right now. But yes, I think that is a, a, a significant tension. And, and look, I'm, I will confess that I can make my smartwatch look dumb. Okay, <laughs> but as you were saying before. You know, I have some experience. I don't have all the answers, but what I do have is curiosity. So I'd like you to learn about me a little bit more before you stereotype me. And I'd also like to hear what is your world like? Yes, I know you're a technology whiz, but I know that you're more than someone who's interested in technology. You're, you're a full human being. And because we have stopped having conversations, Right. And part of this is social media. Uh, millennials like curated, neat conversations and relationships aren't so neat all the time. But boomers, I have to say, are just as guilty because they're on their smart devices, too. So those of us who care about conversation and understand the power of what it means to make not just have like FaceTime, but face to face time, eye contact, empathy understanding that what we say has an impact on someone. We can either help them, we can harm them. Trying to make more space for conversation again will be one way of trying to overcome these stereotypes. I'll also add that this is a peeve I have with boomers. And I confess, I'm of that generation. 
if I hear a boomer say again how entitled millennials are, I guess I have said this to them, you know, I think we raised millennials. We didn't buy them from Amazon or Target. So if we don't like their behavior, maybe we need to take a step back and say, we critique the generation before us. Why won't we allow them to critique us? And what can we learn from that critique? It's so interesting because I was just having this conversation with Justin about you know, do we get kind of stuck in our ways and do we, do we always think that no matter what age we are, our way is the best way of thinking, of working, of acting? And can we actually step back for a second and look at how other generations or how other age cohorts think and feel and look at us and kind of do that reflection. So we were joking around about when I'm 85, like I want to believe that the 20-year-olds have answers because when I was 20, I thought I had answers. And like, I don't want to be that old person who's, you know, saying, oh no, 20-year-olds don't know anything because when I was 20, I remember feeling like I knew a lot. Yeah, and and that's why I, I have to say, I'm just a little surprised about boomers who said when they were younger, you know, don't trust anyone who's over 30. Now it's like many have said, well, don't trust anyone unless they're at least 60. So what happened <laughs> to that curiosity? Yes. And like, I get it that, you know, whatever age you are, and I think this is really true, like whatever age you are, you are standing and seeing the world from a particular view and that is valuable, right? We can't have these you know, changing rules, right? Like, oh, when you're 40, you'll understand. When you're 50, you'll understand, or only the 20-year-olds get it. I feel like there's this value of saying every generation, every age cohort knows something and has something of value. And I think that's what you're saying in the book too, right? And when we come together, that's actually when we get the best thinking and the best picture that we can paint. So that's where, when I think about the, the workplace a little bit, and the challenges that are there that, you know, just putting people together on a team of different ages does not make it an intergenerational workplace. But with a little bit of, of facilitation and practice where people from different generations take on different roles in a task, right? Just to how else do you gain empathy, understanding of what it's like? Well, people have to feel a little uncomfortable first. And nobody likes to do that. And of course, it becomes a little difficult in the workplace where productivity is everything. But trying to help people look at what happens when they change roles, don't come in with assumptions about who should do what, but take a small task and let the skills right determine who takes the lead, what roles people play is, you know, it's a challenge, but I think it's a good one. Well, and I think one of the things that it's challenging around is this idea of how quick the world is changing, right? And I I see this when I have conversations, you know, to, for example, like with my dad, right? Like 20 years ago, the world was actually really, really different. And I, we can't even imagine what it's going to be like 20 years from now. And I catch myself sometimes when he's telling me his stories of business, which I, I love hearing, you know, but he'll, he'll say things and I'll be like, but that, that lesson doesn't apply today because the world was so different. Like not everyone had a cell phone. Like how can you take that lesson and say that that's a good lesson for me and my business? But 
there probably is some grain of truth in there, right? There probably is still something of value. It doesn't have to be, oh, we just have to totally throw away the past. But how do we find that right balance when the world is moving so quickly that even looking two or three years ahead of now, like we're, it's really hard to take lessons from the past. So here's the thing about disruption. It doesn't discriminate by age. So those who are the disruptors today are going to be disrupted tomorrow. And if I look ahead to, to Gen Z right now and think about what's going on between millennials and Gen Z, well, that's kind of interesting because if millennials felt entitled, again, I think there's only limited truth in that. And they felt like, well, Mr. Employer, Miss Employer, you're lucky to have me on the job. Gen Z, who grew up in the shadow of the 2008 economic crash, feel like I'm lucky to have a job. And you know what? Collaboration isn't everything. Sure, millennial, I'll collaborate with you, but just be careful because if you don't pull your weight, I'm going to just roll over you. Ooh. <laughs> that is fascinating. I have not heard about this, the kind of post millennial generation coming into the workforce and how that might impact millennials. Well, this is kind of a spoiler alert. The Gen Z generation is the always on generation. They were born into a post-social media revolution, right? You can probably still remember when digital life wasn't so embedded into everything, mm -hmm. but they can't. So what does it mean to grow up in an always on world? What does it mean to grow up being able to, you know, be connected all the time? I, I, I just read about this 17-year-old who last December already worked out some sort of platform and algorithms to track the coronavirus. 17 years old. Wow. Lives in Seattle. He has people from all over the world, doctors, researchers, PhDs, scientists, right? And the site is now updating either every couple of seconds or every minute. And I'm thinking, how is it that a 17-year-old was able to anticipate what was coming when governments and other researchers didn't think about it? That's going to be that generation. That's incredible. And I have to ask, because you brought up coronavirus and it's you know been on my mind a lot. Do you predict any change in how people connect to different generations? This is going to be a part of everyday life, unfortunately. But I do think that this will contribute to further social isolation because when you're being told to work at home or go to school at home or be at home, then it makes social connections that much more fragile. So we've come full circle to loneliness where we started. <laughs> All right. I got to ask a couple final questions before we like really wrap up the show. So the first is we've been talking a lot about what makes all these generations so different, but you also talk about in your book that there is more in common that we are generally willing to acknowledge. So can you talk about some of the things that we have in common? Sure. Look, marketers, corporations, they have a stake in labeling generations because you can monetize your products and services more if you customize them. But before all of that marketing thrust to divide and then conquer each generation, you know, there's something about being a perennial. And I didn't 
coined that term, but the way that I use it is, what is the task of every generation broadly, right? You wanna help hold on to the things that are still good, as you said before. You wanna relinquish those sorts of values and practices that have restrained us, and you wanna take the past, the part that's good, and then plant the seeds for the future so that other generations will thrive. So when it comes to, I think, fulfillment, when it comes to purpose, when it comes to meaning, when it comes to social connections, those are the things that never go out of style. It's more complicated when you have four or five generations in the workplace trying to figure out how to provide that to so many different people and to keep them engaged. Well, and on that note, what are some of the ways that we need to do things differently in the workplace to accommodate those different values or interests of different generations? Well, I think one really important thing that people can do is to rethink benefits by generation. So if you're a millennial, then you're going to be concerned more about college debt, wellness initiatives, lifestyle, being able to work, you know, with more flexibility. Gen Z, that's also true. Gen Z is going to be looking for more financial guidance that they're not getting. If you're a Gen Xer, you're going to be thinking about work-life blend. You're going to be thinking about, you know, uh, 401k match and wellness. The point is it can't be a one-size-fits-all benefits package anymore. Be creative when it comes to benefits within the resources that you have. And that means you'll have to learn about different generations and understand them better. And do you think that it's as clear as generational guidelines or you think that there's also life choice factors and like how do you kind of blend those things together between the boundaries of age and the boundaries of life stage? You're right. It's a combination of both. But what it means is managers, business owners, taking a little bit more time to get to know what their employees need and are going through. Work is not a social service agency. I I, I understand that. But when I interviewed one medium-sized business owner and she got to, to know some of her employees better, Gen Xer, by the way, Gen Xers are good bridge people. They understand people who are older people who are younger, you know, she realized that there were things that they could be doing, like having a chiropractor come into the office that helps certain people. She offered workshops on, and and this to me was really amazing. She offered workshops as a benefit on how to complete living wills, financial documents, you know, taking care of elderly parents, all those things in the background that affect people in the workplace. Oh, I love that. Such like a, a smart way to provide value to your employees at a relatively minimal cost to the company. Exactly. All right. So now we're actually going to wrap up. So as you know, the show is called The Modern Manager. Can you tell us about one of the rockstar managers that you worked for and what made this person so amazing? Yes. When I had started out in my first job in a congregation, believe it or not, I learned so much from an individual who, even though I supervised him, he let me do that, but he taught me about things like outcomes, right? About understanding 
what is the population that you're working with and what is it that they really need as opposed to what you think they need and he just taught me so much about accountability and again tying that to a specific population that i was working with lovely and where can people learn more about you Chaim, find your book all that good stuff www.hayimherring.com and the book is available on Amazon, Barnes and Nobles and pretty much anywhere you can find on the web. Fantastic. Thank you so much for sharing all of the learnings that you've been gathering over the years. I really appreciate our conversation. And it's great to reciprocate and to be a guest with you. Members of the Modern Manager community get a few different bonuses from Chaim. First, you get 30% off his book, Connecting Generations, Bridging the Boomer, Gen X, and Millennial Divide. You also get his report on how COVID-19 is making Gen Zers and Millennials rethink personal and professional priorities. To get these bonuses, plus 20% off of my program, The Modern Manager's Guide to Effective Delegation, and lots more, go to themodernmanager.com join. All the links are in the show notes and they can be delivered to your inbox when you subscribe to my newsletter. Find that, of course, at themodernmanager.com. Thanks again for listening. Until next time. Meetings are one of the most critical components of healthy collaboration, and teams are at the heart of how we work. Meteor helps you use your time in meetings productively, build healthy relationships with your colleagues, and move work forward. To learn how we do it, visit Meteor.com. That's M-E-E-T-E-O-R.com. You've been listening to The Modern Manager. You're already becoming a rock star boss of a thriving team, I can tell. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player and join the mailing list at mamieks.com slash podcast. That's M-A-M-I-E-K-S dot com slash podcast to get show notes and other special content delivered directly to your inbox. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.